Hello, Catherine here. If you're listening to my podcast because you're a fan of wintering, the good news is that my new book, Enchantment, is available now. It's a book about how we can find a way to reconnect with a world that's sometimes hard to live in and even to find magic there. It's available in all good bookshops and please support your local indie if you can. For more information, you can go to katherine-may.com forward slash enchantment. Happy reading. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, I'm Catherine May and welcome to the Wintering Sessions where authors talk about the cold seasons in their own lives. This week I'm delighted to welcome Raina Wynn, writer of The Salt Path and fellow Southwest Coast Path enthusiast. We had a few troubles recording this session so we ended up having to dive onto Skype after a series of false starts but we finally found a line that would recall both of our voices. It's not perfect but I hope you'll enjoy our conversation as much as we did. Yes, you too, Catherine. It's been ages. <laughs> it's been really ages. And um, we have had trauma with the tech today. So thank you for sticking with me. We met because of our shared love of the Southwest Coast Path, really. I think it's fair to say we were we were put on a, a panel together. Yes, we were, weren't we? At uh, Budley. Uh, I think yeah. two years ago now. It must be two years ago. Yeah. So it feels like a long, long time ago. So um we both had books out at the same time. Yours is much more famous than mine. I, I will put that out there straight away. Um, but you are the author of The Salt Path, which is um, such a beautiful book about your journey around the Southwest Coast Path after you were made homeless. And I, I really love to talk about that today. Um, but first of all, I'd love to ask you, because you live in Cornwall, what's Cornwall like at the moment under lockdown? How's it all going for you? 
Um, it's actually gone quite well for me because I think I'm very suited to a life of isolation, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it's just been Moth and myself here uh, where we are um, in a very, very quiet spot where maybe one car has passed per day and then a girl with a dog that we look out for every morning at 11 o'clock um and that's been that's been our lockdown so and we're still here we're still more or less still isolated in the house yeah it sounds very peaceful I think um I'm because I'm in a slightly busier coastal town I've we've had loads and loads of tourists come in the last few weeks and it's been quite troubling really um just the beach being absolutely packed and full of kind of huge groups of of youths I've reached the age now and I look at them and I think oh gosh youths they're drinking um (laughs) I like to think I'm the only one that can drink on the beach but apparently other people do it too um and yeah it's been it's been peaceful for a long time but now it's not peaceful and that's been been quite intimidating really because it's it's hard seeing lockdown just disappear but um I'm glad it was lovely where you are Yes, it's been the same here, I think, um, out in a wider world. I think I think same issue has been going on here. But yeah. um, but for us, it's it's carried on being quite quiet. So very lucky. Very well, that lucky. sounds like heaven. You've chosen the right place to live. Um, <laughs> so let's talk about The Salt Path, um, which is the book that massively made your reputation. I'd love to actually talk a little bit about that later, because I I'd, I think it must have been really hard for you to suddenly have that explode in the way it did and for so many people to feel so passionately about it um but first of all let's talk about the book itself um and I know that you'll be great at telling the story of it but two things happened at the beginning of the book that that began your your journey um first of all Moth your husband became ill and you also lost your house at the same time can you take us through that Yes, yes. It, it was, um, if we go back a little bit further than the uh, start of the book, really, it so, probably puts it more into context, really. Um, I met Moth when I was a teenager. Moth, my husband, when I was a teenager, I was I was 18. And I was in the college canteen and looked up across the room <laughs> and just saw this young man in a white shirt with dazzling blue eyes dipping a Mars bar in a cup of tea. And I thought, <laughs> That's the one for me. <laughs> and weirdly, it turned out to be because he's still here. <laughs> um, but uh, we sort of had this dream that we would find a, a, a ruin somewhere in the hills and uh, a, a place that we could restore and create a home and a way of life that would be ours entirely. Mm. And that's what we did. By the time we were about 30, we bought a, a ramshackle old place in the hills of Wales. And we spent the next 20 years of our life restoring it. And um, we kept sheep and hens and grew vegetables and two children. (laughs) um, (laughs) Yeah, it was was like the perfect life, like the idyllic life. It sounds absolutely idyllic, yeah. Absolutely was. It was what we imagined it would be, and and we we had it. Um, But then, um, sadly, at the same time, we had a dispute a financial dispute with a lifetime friend um, that ended up in a court case. Mm. He served with conviction notice from that home. and That's uh, not idyllic at all. No, that is not idyllic. And it was absolutely devastating. And 
at the time we thought probably the worst thing that could possibly happen to us mm. um but then during the week that we were given to pack up and leave the house so a week of trying to pack 20 years of our life into boxes um then during that week moth had a um what we thought was going to be just a routine hospital appointment and right. turned out to be anything but because he was diagnosed with corticobasal degeneration um cbd that's um it's a neurodegenerative disease that has no treatment no cure um so just in that one week it was as if our entire lives had been wiped out everything that we'd worked towards and the whole future that we imagined just gone in a week it's extraordinary isn't it how life can come at you like that sometimes it's never just one thing it seems that these things come in terrible terrible clusters oh yes don't you find that it's never one thing at a time it's always everything everything at once but I mean for you kind of I always, I always think that both sides of your sense of security were hit at once you know your your sense of home and 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 financial stability which is, you know, seems trivial when you talk about moth's illness in comparison, but it, it actually isn't, is it? Those things can be incredibly undermining. Um, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, because your home is everything that you sort of structure your life around, isn't it? You, you create yeah. a, you create the format of your life, and it encompasses your home. Um, but then, for moth to become ill as well, that was that was doubly. Um, yeah that's terrifying did, did they yeah. give a kind of time period um that, that they're expecting him to yeah so at the time that they said um we'd probably be lucky if it was two years and most of that would be a rapid decline into poor health really so terrifying and and from nothing really from from him seeming completely fine you had this you were given this vision of this future that you couldn't quite comprehend absolutely I mean he had a problem with his shoulder and we thought it was because he'd fallen through the barn roof um, and <laughs> we were expecting him to say well it's ligament damage and we'll just sew you back together and that'll be that um, but then it wasn't so yeah it was, it was an absolute shock so reading from that you packed up the whole house yes and then what Yes, we got the whole house was packed. It was the very, very last moment. Um, the bailiffs were knocking at the door, waiting to change the locks. Mm-hmm. And um, we were hiding under the stairs. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't that we were hiding under the stairs thinking some miracle was going to happen and um, um, we weren't going to have to leave. It was just we weren't ready. Just mm-hmm. we weren't ready to take that very last step over the threshold, just knowing that we would never, ever go back. Mm-hmm. And just hanging on to that last minute of, of some kind of security, normality, safety call it what you like I don't know but it was in that moment that I spotted a book in a packing case that hadn't gone out of the door and it was uh, Mark Wallington's 500 mile walkies (laughs) (laughs) it's the story of Mark Wallington as a young man who uh, walks around the southwest coast path with a dog that he's borrowed from a friend and a rucksack that he borrowed from someone someone else and walks the what he seems to describe as 500 miles of the southwest coast path (laughs) (laughs) and just in that moment that horrible desperate moment it just seemed like the most obvious thing to 
to do. Just fill a rucksack and go for a walk. (laughs) Have you always been a spontaneous kind of a person? Because I'm not. And so I can't imagine making that decision at that point. Um, Spontaneous. I don't know. I don't know. Um, Maybe there was always something of that in me somewhere. I don't know. I looked up, I saw Moth that first time and I just knew I'd be with him forever. Um, other odd little moments in my life, maybe, maybe spontaneous. But, but I sort of, I was fifty for goodness sake. How spontaneous are most of us at fifty? Not very. Um, uh, but just then, there, everything had gone. You know, the whole construct of our life had gone. It was, it was the last moments, the last threads of hanging on to some sort of normality. So I think then, when you take everything away then anything becomes possible. And maybe even if you're the biggest planner in the world, which I think I'd probably become quite a planner, mm. um, then you, you can change in those situations. You can be, you can just become something else without even planning to do so. <laughs> it, it's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the path, um, because we both know it intimately, you more than me, because you slept along the way. Um what did you what were your first impressions what were those first few days like of of walking well I think I think you've been you've been there you you know what it's like I think (laughs) you can plan as much as you like you can read the guidebooks you can read other people's blogs but nothing compares to when you get there and you stand there in Minehead and you look at the start of the the path and it heads up that that cliff through the woods And um, and you realise just how steep it is, <laughs> how difficult it's going to be. <laughs> and you, you stand there and you think, what on earth am I doing? I mean, you tend to think that walking is fine. Like, I, you think I can walk, I can walk anywhere. And the southwest coast path very quickly tells you that you can't walk anywhere, that actually it takes you hours to get a mile sometimes and it hurts so much (laughs) it hurts from the first step to the very last it's just pain but it's about getting used to the pain isn't it (laughs) yeah you get used to the pain and uh you develop techniques I think don't you I mean I I became a better walker but it took me a long time and I just hated it for quite a while <laughs> yes that, that's it you, you were absolutely right when you say um you think you can walk well we all think we can walk don't we and you might just go for a casual 10 mile walk at the weekend and feel great but um when you put that rucksack on your back and you head up that it's a roller coaster isn't it that path it's you, you no yeah. sooner have you climbed up onto a headland than you back down to sea level again and Absolutely. that just goes on and on all day, every day. It's and, and it's often raining while that's happening. I mean, let's be blunt. I the sun does not shine on it for a lot of the year. <laughs> well, we were we were I don't know how whether you would describe it as lucky or not, but um for quite a, a large proportion of our walk, um, it wasn't just hot, it was intensely hot. It was it was um a year when it it was climbing up to about 38 degrees some days. Wow. And, you know, on the north coast, there's hardly any shelter. After you get sort of yeah. past past uh, Clavelli, um, it sort of becomes just 
bare headguns and yeah, there's yeah. hardly any shelter. So it, it was tricky in parts, that's for sure. Yeah, Certainly yeah. an awful lot of dehydration going on. <laughs> yeah, I was the opposite. I was, I was, you know, experiencing kind of flooded paths and lashing rain and, and wind. <laughs> it, it seems that it gets you either way. <laughs> Well, we did have some storms. We had some incredible storms. And that path, when it gets wet, it becomes like a, well, it's, it, it just turns to sort of slime under your feet, doesn't it? It's, it yeah. It's, you yeah, could ski true. along it. It's, it's very tricky to walk when it's wet. Yeah, sure. I mean, there's a very real risk of falling down a massive cliff into the sea for quite a lot of the time, I think. <laughs> the time, yeah, you could you could fall into the sea. There could be a landslide, and you could yep, yep. be <laughs> into the sea. You could be blown into the sea. <laughs> so many different ways it could get you. I really... Yeah, so many ways. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> So, oh yeah, I it's really I'm I'm fascinated by why I love it so much, and you do too, I think. I mean, we're we're being negative, but absolutely, um, absolutely. There's something so magnetic about it, though, isn't there? I think there's something after a few miles, after a few days, that path starts to draw you along, doesn't it? There, there is something, like I say, it's, there's something magical about being on that strip of wilderness. Mm. So separate from from the ordinary world on one side and that endless horizon of the sea on the other it's like you're trapped in a in a world apart it really it does it feels very otherworldly and I you're not far from civilization because you never really are in the UK I don't think but it feels like you step into a different world and it's so utterly absorbing and beautiful but also so physically hard and that's that absorbs you too I, I I'm really interested to know how it helps you to process what was going on being on on that path did it did it take your mind off things or did it let your mind go on to things as it were it's a strange thing isn't it um we started out thinking that we would have lots of time to think lots of time to talk through how we'd come to that point and how to you know, formulate some kind of future going on. But we found we didn't really talk about anything much at all other than, you know, where we were going to sleep that night or or where we'd get the next bag of noodles. And <laughs> <laughs> it, it it became almost like a meditation. I think when you've you've walked for for many hours, it becomes a matter of taking the next step and the next step. And and each step becomes a a success doesn't it uh, each, yeah. each headland that you manage to get up is a, is a, a battle won and and it becomes your entire focus mm. and I think that empties your head in a lot of ways and it stops you thinking because because life becomes really immediate it becomes about really literally about that next step and I think that in itself has a has the ability to allow your your brain to calm it, it allows the the panic to subside mm. and something far more elemental to take over and I yeah. think the salvation was in that actually yeah I can I can imagine how it would be incredibly comforting I mean it, it puts you back into contact with survival in a different way to the way that we understand it in an everyday sense you know it you really do feel like you're battling the elements um 
But there was for me this feeling, which I think is exactly what you're describing. And I always thought that that was because I was walking alone most of the time. But obviously it happens when you're walking with someone else, too, that maybe a few hours in every day, my mind would go into this incredibly quiet space where there were no there weren't even any words left anymore it was just yeah I was just walking I was just existing and that I think is a very difficult place to get to in any other way I think I think you're right I think that's why I describe it like a meditation because Mm -hmm. that's what you're looking for when you meditate don't you um so I think that's that element of of complete disconnection from everything but in that emptiness anything can come can't it any anything can come and I think um because you're you're after hours you just stop you stop thinking as you say you stop thinking you stop you stop considering anything and you just be and and there's an incredible sense of release in in that yeah, I I always say that I would never have come to my autism diagnosis if I hadn't been doing those walks. It, it was like that. It became my it, it opened up a kind of forum in my mind where I could accept a completely new idea about myself. And I needed to get past my conscious self to get there. You know, it, it opened me to new possibilities. Yeah. I think we we taken away everything material, more or less everything financial, mm-hmm. all the day to day ordinary problems of life had gone with that as well. Um, so we weren't concerned about you know how do we pay for council tax or or you know did we need a new wheel on the van or whatever. <laughs> all all of that was gone, and and it our lives had gone to a far more just a, a mode of survival really and it was it was down to a really basic base level of of food shelter water warmth mm. Th- those being the only things that we needed to concern ourselves about you-, and you were you were literally kind of pitching a tent and sleeping along the way how was that <laughs> well <laughs> wild camping because um, because we just couldn't afford the campsites, basically, um, and so to wild camp was the only only way we could do it. Um, to start with, it was really really hard. Not only just for Moth because he was struggling just to get in and out of the tent every day, yeah. um, but really hard to find somewhere to put the tent because, as you know, and a lot of the path. You can't find a flat spot anywhere. You'll see see a perfect campsite at lunchtime. But by the time sort of seven, eight o'clock at night, when you're thinking, I've really got to stop now, I've got to stop. You're on a slope of of thistles and gorse for the next three miles and you can't you can't possibly stop at all. Uh, So just finding somewhere to put a tent every day was an endeavour. And uh, I've got to say, you know. Uh, when we started that walk, I really always thought I'd be somewhere near public toilets or something. There's no toilets. There's no toilets. There's no tea. There's no shops. <laughs> no shops when you need them. There are never, ever toilets when you need them. And, um, yeah, so dog walkers became my nemesis because they get up too early. Yeah. Always there when you were trying to rush in to get out of the tent first thing in the morning. There is always a dog walker outside. Um, <laughs> But then there was something else really about that 
wild camping and I think that was that element of never really knowing where you were going to find yourself right because often by the time we got the tent up at night it was getting dark and you, you weren't really 100% aware of where you are you, you were right. so often you'd wake up in the morning and you'd find that you were in this like, once we woke up and we were in this like, magical little meadow where there were millions of ladybirds just hatching into <laughs> <laughs> and then other days, yeah, like the day we woke up on this wet, foggy headland in a field of cows, and but the sun started to break and it was it was lifting over the horizon and just lighting the headlands one by one towards us. Amazing. And we could just hear the seals calling to each other in the cove below. Yeah, I think I think that's what the wild camping gave us more than anything. Was that real? immersion in in nature that real sense of not living alongside nature but really as part of it yeah and I, I feel like it it probably let you do it in the way the path wants you to to walk it in that it's you can't predict how long anything will take you know you can use any formula for crossing contour lines on a map that you like but I, I never, ever walked at the pace that I ever expected. And I constantly downgraded my expectations of how far I was going to get. And I still routinely didn't make my point that I was planning to finish. Um, and it, it seems to me that there's a real wisdom to doing what you did along the path, which is just stopping when you need to stop. You know. <laughs> well, we had to, really. It was the only way, especially with you know moths um illness some some days we we might only walk two miles and and we'd have to stop and put the tent back up other days you know as time went on and we got a little bit stronger um maybe we were lucky if we did 10 miles a day Mm. um so people constantly say oh what was your average mileage oh i didn't have an average mileage and she was People will say, you know, well, didn't you do sort of three miles an hour? That's standard walking speed. There, well, there, no chance. There is no standard walking speed, is there, on, on that path? No. I mean, quite often I was walking for like an hour and a half and realised I'd got less than a mile. Particularly in Heartland, that was the bit that really got me. Um, yeah. <laughs> we used to say, if, we, if we're doing a mile an hour, we're, we're doing well. <laughs> yes, that's so true. But then I, I kept seeing all these incredibly fit pensioners come yomping past me and people running it. For God's sake, people run the path. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, super fit people yomping by. Um, but luckily, usually in the other direction, so that's fine. Um, <laughs> so yeah. by the time you got to the end of your journey what had changed for you what had what had the walk put in place for you and and what world were you looking towards then I think uh, I think not only had we changed in so many ways um but we had um formulated some sort of structure for how our future would be Mm. moth had uh found that actually walking improved his health in ways that he'd been told were utterly impossible Incredible. and that he he had gained strength as we'd walked rather than than losing his his mobility as we'd been told he would because because the doctors had told him you know just don't get too tired and be careful on the stairs um so we we, so we decided to scale some cliffs <laughs> instead <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And, um, and he's still fitting well now? 
Well, he's he has spells when he's really not been as well as he was when we finished the path. But mm. um, but when he gets on a real low, we uh, pack the rucksacks and go for a walk. What a wonderful thing to have that you can you can go and go out and make yourself feel better. Yes, yeah, and that's at the moment that's the only the only treatment that we have. So we we keep doing that. Right. But it's it's wonderful. And, and you've it, I think what's lovely is that you've bought extra time together somehow by going on your mission. That still sounds absolutely crazy to me. I mean, I, I admire it so much, but I know I could never have done it. <laughs> I'm sure you could. I'm sure you could. Oh, no, I'd have been a holy nightmare. <laughs> picking you up in the evening. You, you would do it. I know you would. <laughs> yeah, I'm not I'm not one of the world's campers. I'm <laughs> So yeah tell me about um, oh, camping <laughs> yeah no yeah I, I i would do one of those lovely safari tent things you know <laughs> Not a good little green thing oh, <laughs> do like a duvet you know <laughs> yeah <Porsche. laughs> so tell me about the you you decided to write about your journey and uh, you know so many people have read your the beautiful book that ensued um that must have changed your world in ways you never could have expected. For a start, the, the the love and enthusiasm for the book must have really struck you. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I wrote, I wrote the book. It wasn't really a book for people to read. I, I wrote it for Moth um, because I wanted to make a record of that walk because it seemed so important to us yeah and he was starting to lose his memory of bits of it so I wanted to capture it and keep it for him so that when he did start to forget it I could put it in front of him and say you know look what we did remember we did you know keep trying you've got to keep trying um but instead but instead yeah my daughter <laughs> or he did and she said yeah mommy ought to do something with this and um then eventually um I did um, yeah yeah, yeah. So life, life changed you for a lot and and maybe I'm I'm guessing has given you a lot of security that um that didn't ever look possible for you when you were writing it I can certainly pay the rent now which yeah. you know is always a pleasure <laughs> Yeah, that always feels good. You have to pay your bills, but I, I can pay my bills now, and it always makes me smile when I pay the electric bill. <laughs> not quite right about that. Is <laughs> no, I I think it, I think there's huge gratitude. I my um my husband uh before I met him had been made sort of effectively homeless when he was at, at in his late teens and he was thrown out of home, yeah. um and he ended up in a sort of very difficult financial situation where he you know had court county court judgments because he was 16 and trying to rent a flat with no money um and I remember when we were first together he appreciated so many things that everybody else takes for granted like when we owned our first washing machine he'd go in and say good night to it every night and <laughs> I think um I think it's really good to feel like that about the world around you you know it's there's there's great gratitude there yeah yeah, yeah, yeah I think I, that will I, never leave me um I think it's really sort of ingrained in me now that uh, that sense of knowing that yeah. how things things are, are different that I, I don't stop feeling lucky uh, or extremely grateful more mm. than anything yeah 
you know, yeah. ordinary things. Yeah. And and you you've become a fantastic advocate for for homelessness. Oh, sorry, an advocate for homelessness sounds terrible. You've be, you've become an advocate <laughs> for people who become homeless. I should say. Well, I think it's in, it's really important because um, we it's very easy for many people to to regard homeless people as as just a problem in the doorway rather than the individuals with the individual stories that they are yeah um exactly i've been i've been given this um incredible platform which a book does Mm -hmm. uh, which are in itself is a bit of a surprise but (laughs) but yeah if, if i don't talk about homelessness in that um situation then i feel as if i'm letting people down because um because i would have hoped when i was homeless that people would be trying their best to uh, raise awareness if nothing else mm. Mm. absolutely and and it's so yeah it's it's a it's an obligation in lots of ways but a, a kind of warm obligation to be able to use your voice oh absolutely absolutely to be able to actually do something if it's only to change one person's uh, opinion of what homelessness is, then that's a step along the way to uh, actually solving the problem. Yeah. I mean, we've we've just been through this incredible time when we did actually solve the problem of homelessness. Yes, yeah. Just for those few short weeks, we did not have a homeless problem. Incredibly quickly as well. Which just goes to prove that it is absolutely doable and it is all about prioritizing and and what we as a country prioritize yeah so important so now now all those homeless people who have found shelter and they've found some sort of structure to their days are very very shortly going to be back out on the street Mm. and um, back to square one it's extraordinary isn't it that we have the tools to solve these things and yet we choose not to essentially um there's no other way to think about it, I don't think. No, but this time has shown good. It was always solvable and it was always possible to solve it virtually overnight. Yeah. But we chose not to. Yeah. And we, we go on doing that. And we've chosen <laughs> to to put them back out in the streets. And um, that's that's a, a low point for anyone who's made that choice, I think. Here, here. Mm. So to finish, um, you were due to release a new book in the middle of lockdown um, and you've decided to delay it. But that's coming in September. Yes, September the 3rd. It should have been April, but uh, due to lockdown and um, the amount of publicity that was uh, booked for the, the months after release, mm. book, um, it just wouldn't have been possible. Um, so... Uh, Yes, it's September the 3rd, but I'm quite excited about that, really. It's really a book that's called Wild Silence, and it follows on, really, from the salt path. So, although it seems, like, idyllic to find yourself going from homelessness into a home again, Mm. I found it quite a difficult adjustment. And it's coming to terms with that adjustment in life, and a really sort of closer look to our our connection to the natural world and how that's informed our lives and and is now forming our future 
Yeah. Not bad giving too much away, is it? (laughs) That's very good. Yeah, you said you couldn't give too much away, but that sounds absolutely amazing. And I it strikes me already that you're talking about those those wintering moments that take you by surprise, I guess. Those those times when you think everything should be fine and that's often they're often the bits that take you down the most. Exactly. And and that's um that's a real uh parallel with your uh book wintering. Um because we're always on slightly the same wavelength, you and I, I think. So we'll have to have a chat about the next one when we get off. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not telling you anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think those moments in life when you expect everything to be okay and they're they're unexpectedly not okay mm. can be really hard to to work your way through. And I think this book is about one of those moments and the the strength of the natural world to pull you through. And how we are all really closely connected to the natural world, whether we recognise it or we don't. Oh, Raina, it's been so lovely to speak to you and I cannot wait to read it. I will be first in line at, at Waterstones in <laughs> September, if indeed Waterstones is open by then. And <laughs> we can all hope, right? <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> but I look forward to us sharing a stage on a literary festival talking about having written a very similar book again. <laughs> I know it is. <laughs> Thank you, Kathleen. It's been lovely to talk to you again. Thank you so much. And that's just about all for this week's show. Raina's book, The Wild Silence, is out in September. I could have spoken to her forever about the Southwest Coast Path. If you enjoyed this week's podcast, please subscribe, like or award it some stars, whatever your particular podcast app lets you do. I'll be back next week speaking to another writer who's wintered. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.